Examine yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Read um, a verse we're going to cover as you're turning there. Which the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you this morning. Lord, it was uh, nothing like that the apostle was communicating to the church in Corinth. After all that he had covered in his letter, we come to a point of him concluding it with these words. Lord, this is the very thing that should mark the Christian, the believer, the child of God. A person who would humble themselves before you. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, these you will not despise. And so I pray that we would be humble before you this morning. We would open up our hearts to you. We would allow you to examine us to reveal anything that is not of you, and to be willing to repent of those things, knowing that it is not for our harm, but for our good, that things are revealed. That we would turn from them and turn to you. Turn from that which is evil and turn to that which is good. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand what you have to say to your church today that you would be blessed and honored and glorified, and that that we would be at peace with our relationship with you. And so with that, we commit this morning into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so examine yourself. So I had to, um, I was looking up some things uh, on the internet as far as examinations, tests, things of that sort. Uh, Here are some answers by junior high school students. Um, And these are words and then their definition of these words. Caucus. The part of an animal left for the buzzards. Excise. How big she was before she took slim pills. These are actual answers, right? Butte. The new girl next door. Gorge, which I imagine the student thought it was George, brother of the new girl next door. Glacier, ice cubes, which put Texas in second place. Do you guys know what that means? I have no idea. Maybe it was a Texan that wrote that. Um, Levy, one leg of a pair of Levi's. That's pretty good. All right. Pocket veto. Deodorant for the traveling man. Oh, man. Um, There are some other ones. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. Let's see. Uh, Like answers to, this is when you don't study. These are the answers that you come up with. Gabriel Oak, with all his horse sense, is really a stable character. That's witty, right? In there. 
He sees everything at once and writes them down in that order. Socrates, uh, well, okay, name three Greek educators and tell what each one taught. Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Socrates taught Plato and Plato taught Aristotle. <clears throat> Just, I mean, you can go on, it's like, what? <laughs> These are some, some pretty uh, imaginative answers to the questions that are on the test that we are asked in... Junior high, high school, you know, in, in class. And again, that's when we, when we haven't studied, when we don't know the answers. We come up with these things. Um, there's, there's other ones there. But there are tests that are given at various times and for various reasons. Even though they are never pleasant, they do serve a very important role and purpose in our lives. Tests are generally given after a person has been taught certain things and but there are also aptitude tests prior to understanding where we are, our skill level, right? Like we're going to go ahead and take this test to see where you are and then go from there. A test is uh, given to find how much has been retained after having been given knowledge, after having been taught to find out how much the student actually understood, grasped, retained Never is there a test that is as important, though, as the one that we will be learning about this morning, because it has to do with eternity. It's like coming into, uh, whether it be a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, anytime coming into a Bible study, and just kind of going through the motions, and not really seeking to understand, and it really doesn't take root in the person's life, is one of the saddest things that we can do as Christians. But this very test is very important. The question that we often asked or ask is this, how do you know if you are saved? That's a good question. How do you know for certain if you are a Christian or not? I, I know sometimes we don't ask that to each other, you know, uh, other than, you know, are you born again or are you a Christian? You, you come into church, sometimes we just assume, right? But that is a very good question that we ought to ask that you should know the answer to. Chuck Smith said this, you can't join the church through membership, you have to be born again into it. You know, you can have a, a formal membership at a church without actually being a member of the church with a capital C. A born-again Christian is one who has repented of their sins and surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. But we have the marks of a Christian. There's fruit that comes from that relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul is now wrapping up his letter to the Corinthians and is leaving them with one final thing to do. Examine yourself. Test yourself. He's pleading with them. Please do this. Make sure you know whether you're in the faith or not before it's too late. Because there is a time when it is absolutely too late. And we would do well to do this ourselves. And so we will be doing this morning. And I do pray, like, like I, right from the very beginning, that we are humble before the Lord. That we allow Him to reveal anything that is not of Him in our lives. 
that with that understanding, with that knowledge, we do something with it. That, that is to repent, to confess. Yes, I agree, Lord, that is not of you. We repent, that means we turn away from it, turn away from that which is sinful and turn to God. That we do those things, that we respond. There are two reasons here for doing that. Number one, because our eternal spiritual state is at stake. And secondly, our present spiritual condition matters. And it speaks to that eternal state, that eternal condition in the Lord. Remember who Paul was writing to? He wasn't writing to a mixed crowd. He was writing to his brethren, other Christians, fellow believers in Corinth, in a city much like the day and age in which we live in today, Southern California. You could say was the church of Corinth, and he's writing to Christians. Self-examination is important to a Christian. Many times we can be quick to examine others, but never is there a more important person to test than ourselves, to see where we are and understand where we should be. Right? That's the beauty of God's grace, though. For there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to understand that. So as the Lord convicts us, it should drive us to confess to a God who is graceful, who's full of grace toward us, understanding that if, if, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why we all, always have to speak with love. We have to, of course, uh, present the consequences to our actions and at the same time present God's love and grace that is there awaiting for that person as they turn to the Lord and ask God to forgive them. He is ready. He is willing. He is there. So let's see how it is that Paul concludes this letter to the Corinthians. Verse 1, chapter 13. The Apostle Paul writes, This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now, while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God." Some strong words. Strong, strong words. I mean, if we realize what's been taking place up to this point, we realize that God, I mean, uh, Paul has been really working this out with the Corinthians. These are now his final words. These are Paul's warning. And of course, what he desires above all else is that they would respond to this exhortation, to this rebuke. He says here that he's planning on visiting them for the third time. He had already visited them once before as he planted the church in Corinth, spent about a year and a half with them. The second visit was considered to be a painful visit. No doubt was filled with rebuke and exhortation. 
realizing that there were some things happening within the church that should not be happening. And now, he was coming, he was telling them that he was coming to them a third time, if necessary. Paul had addressed some issues within the church, and I have no doubt that this quoting of Deuteronomy 19.15 is to make sure that whatever is addressed within the church is done so properly. It's very important for us as a church to address certain issues properly. Not just hear what you say and then react to it, but he says every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You've got to make sure that that's there. And he was saying, hey, listen... I know, we've addressed so many things. And I'm letting you know that this is how you take care of it. But make sure that it is witnessed by two or three in order to establish that thing being that which you think it is. Sometimes we have in our mind, this is what it is. But we never ask the opinion of our brothers around us. We should. By the way, be careful who you share that with. Because that could be gossip, you know, as you bounce it off someone else. We do have elders here, uh, myself, and leaders, that it's appropriate. Hey, if you have a question about some, something or someone else, you can bounce it off of them. And I sure do pray that we go to the Word of God to give you the answer to whatever it is that you're dealing with. But that's what Paul was saying. Do, do, it, do it correctly. I'm quoting Deuteronomy 19.15 to you. Remember what you know. It would be good... To establish by the, to, that every charge would be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, to practice this today in the court of our hearts, because we often, in the court, courts of our hearts, convict before hearing and knowing all the evidence. We're quick, aren't we? Sometimes we bring a conviction before hearing anything else. And with this, Paul gives a clear warning that he's coming this time to judge if necessary. Obviously, he's not fearful of the church uh, as far as the brothers. You know, that, I, I love that about Paul. He doesn't tiptoe around things. It's, it's something to learn as pastors about how it was that he approached certain things within the church. You know, sometimes we neglect to say the difficult things. And I say we because it's really to the detriment of the church. We fail to say the difficult things and teach on them and warn for fear of losing a few folks. Remember, it's not about anything other than your sanctification, the glory of God. And Paul wasn't holding back and fearing man. May we never fear man. May we always present the truth as it is. And let things go. And allow God to do His work within His church. And Paul says, hey, I'm coming to judge this time if necessary. To act with the authority given to Him by Jesus Christ. But, saying He would rather see people respond to the exhortation that he has given and to not dismiss it as being just nothing. Just, this is hot air that Paul was, has been blowing. You know, It's just nothing. He says, no, 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 no. It's not. It's God's very word. 
The Corinthians uh, had been looking at Paul as perhaps being weak and unimpressive. We know that from this letter. In comparison to some of these self-proclaimed super apostles that had come along, remember they were charismatic and they knew how to draw crowds into themselves. He says, I am not inferior to any of these quote-unquote super apostles. And we saw that in 2 Corinthians 11.5 and again in chapter 12, verse 11. He says, I am not at all inferior to these super apostles. Paul had demonstrated a meekness to the brethren. Again, but if necessary, he was prepared to come and clean house with the authority of God. Again, these were Christians that had been awed by questionable displays of power. And they were at the same time unimpressed by the Christ-like qualities demonstrated in Paul. What was that? He came, as he described, with meekness, gentle, you know, sometimes we bring the word across in a way it's, it's pleading with you. It's like, this is the word of God. Are you listening what, what the Lord has to say to you? Nothing else. No other words. Just pointing to Jesus Christ. No other bells and whistles. Nothing at all. And then the church responds... We're unimpressed. That's the church in Corinth. They were awed by questionable displays of power. If we were to just pay attention to how it is that the Lord has been working in your life and in the lives of the people around you that have submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the very Word of God, you would respond in awe at the power of of God's word. You would be highly impressed. You would glorify God, praise him just for that simple fact. That's really what we should be awed with is the word that comes forth by the very breath of God in the Bible. Paul was pleading with them to respond to the exhortations. Even now, even though he, he's saying these strong words, he's pleading with them. He's laying his heart bare before them. He's pleading with them to respond to the exhortations and rebukes that he had given them previously. And I say it would do us good to take heed to these things ourselves that we know to be true according to the Word of God, and not have to be dealt with severely in discipline or the consequences of remaining in our sin. Because there are consequences. Sometimes we do need to be disciplined by the Lord. But God disciplines those whom He loves. We know that to be true. So that's how He starts out. In pleading with them in this manner, telling them that He's not fearful of coming to them, authoritatively and strong to judge the sin that they have failed to judge, but pleads with them. Please respond. Please respond. I don't want to come back to you that way. Then he goes on. Verse 5. Examine yourselves 
to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about you, about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul's plea, examine yourself. Test yourself. And the question that we need to ask, and just please bear with me. If you could just for a moment, doesn't matter if if before you are even asked this question, you already know, yes. Just think about this for a moment. The question is, are you really a Christian? Because I believe that that is a valid and good question. Is a Christian one who simply says he's one? Is a Christian one who walks up the aisle to the front of the church during an invitation? Is a Christian one who's a good person? Quote, unquote. I would say... Those things, and I have to say this disclaimer with those questions, is that, yes, all of that should be a part of the Christian life. Right? Whether we came up the aisle and, and uh, responded to an invitation or, or lifted up our hands, uh, we say we're one. Um, yeah, those should all be in conjunction with the fruit of the Spirit, those things that truly mark the follower of Jesus Christ. Because Paul is pleading with them to ask themselves this very question and to answer honestly. Again, we need to understand who his audience was. His audience was not unbelievers. His audience was a group of believers. It was a church in Corinth. And so it would be good, it would do us good to ask that same question to ourselves. And answer honestly. What does it mean to examine? What does it mean to test? Well, it means to investigate. It means to study. It means to sift. It means to analyze. To appraise. To truly test. It's not a bad thing. It's not a, that's not a bad thing to do. In fact, that's a good thing for us to do on a regular basis. But in order to do this, there has to be an absolute standard by which we test whether we are truly a Christian or not. We have to. It's not not, uh, something that depends on who you are. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on the standard, which is the Word of God. A student doesn't take a test and say, well, I believe I did well according to the way I see things, and so... 
I'm going to go ahead and say that I passed. Right? The teacher would be like, what? (laughs) That's not the way it works, son. You know, there's a standard that their answers are compared to, and that determines whether the student passes or fails. Same with the Christian, whether we pass or not fail. Even the psalmist. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This was not a person who was an unbeliever. This was a believer that wrote these very words. Show me anything that is not of you, that grieves your heart, God, and lead me in the way everlasting. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 26. Now David was considered to be a man after God's own heart. And this is what he writes. So Psalm chapter 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. I do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity." Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly I will bless the Lord. That's David. What beautiful words before the Lord. That's how we ought to come to him. By the way, he stood with the other brethren and he loved to be in that place. Do Do you love fellowship? Do you stand in your integrity before the Lord? Did you sing of his praises? With that, let's go over to John chapter 15. I just want to lay out these standards here so that we, we don't have any question whatsoever. This is a standard that the Lord refers to, which Paul refers to here in these verses. So Acts chapter, or I'm sorry, uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Verse 8, John chapter 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. There's that word prove, right? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy 
may be full, complete. Is your joy full? Are you truly abiding in Christ? Well, if so, then there should be fruit in your life. There should be fruit. And you prove to be Jesus' disciples. Let's look at fruit. Galatians chapter 5. So Romans, First and Second Corinthians. Right after Second Corinthians, we go into Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control, against such things there is no law. Are you starting to see why it's a good practice to get into? To allow the Lord to examine our hearts? To allow Him to, to test us before Him? One other place that I want to read is Romans chapter 8. I know chapter 7 in Romans speaks of the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. But it speaks by example of the person who is, who is in that battle. Chapter 6 speaks of the victory that we have over the flesh. Chapter 8 of Romans speaks to how it is that we walk in the Spirit. And so, the Lord does not desire for us to stay in chapter 7 of Romans, but to grow in the Lord and get to chapter 8. We need to get there. Again, this is all part of examining ourselves before the Lord. Of course, we don't have time to break these down, but you can perhaps go back to these sections of Scripture in your own time. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through to 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done with the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, 
but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although in the body, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then... Brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified in Him. Oh, there's tons there, so much. But I wanted to give you, through these verses, an understanding of the child of God, how it is that the Word of God defines and describes Christians, born-again believers, That we don't remain in our flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. That we don't set our minds on the things of the earth, the worldly things, but we set our mind and our hearts on the things of God, the heavenlies. It's good to submit ourselves to this test. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, The Lord did not do away with the commandments. He fulfilled them in Him. But for us, as new covenant believers, as children of God, the way we demonstrate our love and that we are His, our love to God is by keeping His commandments. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That means we do away with the old, right? That's not part of who we are. But we walk forward by faith in the Spirit, in the newness of life that we have come to know in Jesus Christ. A person has to sift through everything and realize whether they have truly repented or not. This is a great way to do it. This is a great morning. If if you haven't done this, if you haven't like sifted through all the dirt, and just see what remains. This is a good way of doing it. Just come and see what the Word of God defines Christianity as. Not what the world does, but what God does. When Peter preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2, he was asked, what shall we do? Verse 37. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He preached repentance. Jesus Christ preached repentance. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's what we ought to do. Repent and believe. What does that mean? It's turning from those things which are evil, which are sinful, and turning to God and running to Him. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you will be saved. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
the people were willing and ready to examine Paul. That's who they were ready and willing to examine. But what they were failing to do, of course, is examine themselves. If that had been done the whole way through, then Paul wouldn't have to write this letter to them. But I tell you, thank you, thank you, God. Thank you, Paul, for writing the letter by the inspiration of the Spirit. This is the very breath of God. Why? Because it speaks to us. The church today, it's relevant today. We don't have to spin it anyway. It is what it is. If you're truthful with the Lord, like, yeah, Lord, we, we do need to examine our hearts before you, a holy and righteous God. And respond to that, just as Paul is pleading with the Corinthians to respond to what he is telling them. Paul himself is confident in that he is his faith, his surrender to the Lord is genuine, and he pleads with them to do what is right and submit to the examination and then respond to whatever the results may be. Alan Redpath said this, quote, To examine yourself, in fact, is to submit to the examination and scrutiny of Jesus Christ the Lord. And this never to fix attention on sin, but on Christ, and to ask Him to reveal that in you which grieves His Spirit. To ask Him to give you grace that it might be put away and cleansed in His precious blood. Self-examination takes the chill away from your soul. It takes the hardness away from your heart. It takes the shadows away from your life. It sets the prisoner free. Close quote. In Paul's heart, Again, as I said earlier, his heart is being laid bare before his brethren. The purpose of this has no personal benefit, as the Apostle Paul was pointing out. Nothing at all. He only sought the benefit of his brethren there in Corinth. No, no personal benefit whatsoever. When a pastor teaches, exhorts, and maybe even rebukes from the Word of God, there should be no personal benefit sought from that word, but wholly given for the benefit of the hearers. It's just, it's for you. That's why nothing can be held back. We we ought to give the whole counsel of God. Not partial, not what will tickle your ears, not what you want to hear, but the whole counsel of God, that you may be able to respond to the word of God. There will be a day of reckoning before the Lord. And if you fail to examine yourselves now and see that Jesus is in you, then that day may prove to be too late, as I said at the very beginning, to know whether you passed or failed the test. What should we be looking for? What's what the Apostle Paul said there? Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Is there evidence that He is in us. Verse 8. Paul bears his heart. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Paul and his apostleship was not above the truth, but could only serve the truth in himself and for others. Ministers of the word should also be in that submittal state before the Lord. As Paul speaks, he says, hey, hey I, can, I can only do that which comes from the truth and apply it to myself. 
Uh, I read this before, and, and I, I don't know who wrote it, but it it's, uh, applies very well. Quote, It is right to make examination of the doctrine of any man who speaks in the church, whatever title he may claim, until Christ has manifested himself in his teaching. For then it is not Christ that is being judged, but the man. But when it is clear that it is God's word that is being proclaimed, then what Paul says holds good, that it is God himself who is being disbelieved. Close quote. You can disagree with me in my opinions, and and really that's besides the point, right? But when it comes to the very word of God, there's really no arguing at all. It is the very word of God, as long as it's brought forth in the right context, because we can bring the word out, and it can be out of context, and mean what we want it to mean. We can't do that. We have to let the word of God mean what it says, because God said what he meant. Bearing his heart, verse 9, says, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. If the way in which the Christians were strengthened was through Paul's weakness, says, <laughs> then he would be glad. That, that's fine. If you see it as weak, and God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That's fine. It didn't matter to Paul. He just wanted the brethren to be complete, to be strong, to be mature in Christ. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, as he wrote to them, says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's really what his desire was, and he states it very clearly. And then Paul gives the reason for writing these things to them. He wanted them to respond appropriately and not have to come to them with that strong hand and the power of God, as he said earlier. Paul wanted to come to them to edify them, to encourage them, to stir them up to good works, not to break them down. I also want to point something out to you that Paul did not say that he was going to assemble a team of counselors to come and help the church. To kind of take care of any issues that were taking place within the church. You know, the more I I get into God's Word, the more I see the things that um, take place within the church, it would do good for us to be students of the Word. Study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling or dividing the Word of Truth. Because in taking the time to have a devotional life with Jesus Christ, sitting at His feet, opening up the Word of God and reading through it, let me tell you that all the issues that you may be experiencing in your life, He will speak to you through, on. He will give the correction. And I can tell you, if you, if you come to counseling here at Refuge, it's what it really, the bottom line is, is it's discipleship. That's what it is. Because we'll point you directly to the Word of God. We'll even give you homework. That you go home and you read over these verses. That you apply these things. 
But no, Paul here, he expected them to fully respond to the word of God. He expected them to. So, examine yourself whether Christ is in you. Do you really readily submit to his lordship in your life? Do you cry out to him as a psalmist does and has? And it continues to resonate. Do you desire to please the Lord in your life? Are you abiding in Christ? All of these things we, we went over as we read those scriptures. And then lastly, Paul's parting words. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All. So it's a summary. It's, let's wrap things up here. It's bringing everything to a close. After all is said and done, this is what I desire. Now we'll conclude with this. Rejoice. Rejoice, Paul. Man, these were heavy words. Yeah, they were. But it's all for the reason of you having joy in the Lord in your walk with Him. That you may walk uprightly before a holy and righteous God. That you would not be ashamed of any compromise that's in your life. That you're behaving correctly within the church body. They were to find joy in walking in a right relationship with God. Aim! He says aim! Aim! Aim at what? Aim for Restoration. That was one thing. Uh, it takes deliberate action on our part to aim. No? You see a marksman, whether it be with a pistol, a rifle, bow and arrow. Can you imagine? It's like, well, go ahead and aim at the target. No, I, I mean aim. Aim at the target. The target is down there. And you see the bullseye. Aim at the target. And you just like, Stood there. Well, in my heart, I'm doing it. The person who was giving that command would be like, what, what are you talking about, you know? Um, it would be odd. Aiming is our deliberate action to hit the target. In fact, we're aiming, we're making every attempt at hit, hitting the bullseye. God is not calling us to perfection, but he is calling us to holiness. He said, be holy for I am holy. So that should be, that should be the, the bullseye is the very thing that we're aiming for. So he says, aim for restoration. Oh, we serve and we know the God of reconciliation. He restored our relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We should do the very same thing amongst each other. Always aim to restore, reconcile. He also said, aim to comfort one another. Not just restore, but comfort one another. Sometimes we seek that all for ourselves when others are in desperate need of it. We need to take, it's all a one another. We should esteem others as more valuable than ourselves, right? To, to hold them in that place. What does that take? It takes taking our eyes off of ourselves and putting them on, on other people and comforting others. So restore, comfort, aim for that. He said, be agree agreeable, live in peace. Don't disagree just to disagree. Sometimes we can do that. 
Love on one another. Be of one mind. This is what Paul was pleading them to do. Let's get to the holy kiss. He, he said, Greet one another with a holy kiss. And then quickly goes on to all the saints greet you, right? So that was a command. We're going to go ahead and start greeting each other with a holy kiss. Okay? It's one on one cheek and then another one on the other cheek. No, it, it's a show of affection. Okay? It, it's deliberately going out of your way to acknowledge someone else. And I'm not saying, you know, give a holy kiss. We can give a holy handshake. We can give a holy hug. Right? And all of these things to be appropriate within the church. But we, the point here is not that whether we do it that way or, or another way, okay? The point here is to go out of your way to greet each other personally. That's what it means. No clicks. No clicks. Not at all. If, and this is examination time, if you find yourself gravitating to the same group of people and that's where you stay all the time, we provide a time of fellowship here after service, right? That's, that's where it happens. Well, this is the time to examine. If you're doing that, go out. Meet some new people. Be deliberate in welcoming others, in opening up yourselves to other people. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is just the beginning. We're going to spend eternity with each other. Start getting to know them now. It, it just really demonstrates a love, and it brings the family together in such a way that is absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. In verse 14, Paul refers to grace, love, and fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because that's what Paul desired for the Christians in Corinth to have above all else. This fellowship. If you have that fellowship and it is sound, it is right, then your fellowship with each other will be correct. It'll be right. It'll be loving. It will be true. It'll be genuine. Not just on the surface. But... In reality. Examine yourself. This whole, this whole last chapter is given to that. So I want to close with these two questions. Number one, I want to make sure, do you know that you are saved? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, do you know that you are saved? Do you know a relationship with Jesus Christ? If he don't, he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There, there's no other way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the doorway to the Father, He is the Good Shepherd. Because our sin separates us from the Father. But it's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Him paying our penalty on the cross in full. Not only dying on the cross, being buried, but through
three days later, rising from the grave, defeating sin and the grave, death, that in him we find salvation. So number one, do you know that you are saved? And I pray that you do. If not, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day in which you completely surrender your life to Jesus Christ. What does that take? Confessing your sins, repenting. Remember I said at the very beginning, the, uh, you had Paul, you had Peter, you had all the apostles, you had Jesus that preached repent and believe. Repent and believe. So that's what we are to do to be saved. Simple thing. But yet sometimes it's the most difficult thing to do. Secondly, are you joyful in your walk with the Lord? That means living. Are you joyful in your living with the Lord? Or have you been burdened? That means that you haven't been casting all your cares upon Jesus Christ. If you're anxious... Be thankful that the Lord is faithful. That He desires that you not worry, that you do not be anxious about anything, but you simply give it to Him. We've had this discussion uh, throughout the, the week with different people. You know, We need to learn to just give things to the Lord and trust in Him. Pray and seek Him. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need a lot of guarding of our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the question is, are you joyful in your walk with the Lord? Those were the two things that Paul wanted to make sure they knew. And again, he was writing to the church in Corinth. And it's the very same things that God wants to make sure we know today. And I pray you do. Father, thank you for this, this time of examination. Lord, I, I pray that whatever had been revealed throughout this morning, that it would be given to you, that it would be confessed of and repented of. And, and Lord, that we would be a people who desire to walk uprightly before you, blessing you, glorifying you, demonstrating to you that we love you by our obedience to your word. Strengthen us, your people. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit to overflowing. And I pray for anyone here who may have never surrendered their lives to you. I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, um, Show them how much you love them by how it was that you sent your only begotten Son in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, you love us with an everlasting love. Reveal that love to them. May that draw them unto you and confess before you and repent and receive new life in Christ Jesus. And so Lord, thank you for this morning. We praise you for for everything. We just love you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.